Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Opus Wealth Style podcast. I am your host today, Evan Wall. And joining me is my partner and good friend, Rob Pruitt. Rob, how are you doing today? Hey, good morning. Doing great. Awesome. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Rob is uh, one of the people I go to as my foremost uh, investment experts, and we do have uh, a handful of them here. Uh, and so we wanted to uh, have a, a conversation with you, Rob, about kind of two different conversations. The first, uh, more timely uh, current market dynamics, what people, conversations that you're having with clients or questions clients are asking you. uh, And then we'll kind of finish the second half of the conversation with more timeless investment principles, uh, not related to necessarily what's going on in the market today. So that's what we're hoping to get get into. And uh, this conversation can go on for quite some time. We're going to try and keep it uh, limited to just the most important points today. But uh, let's jump in. Before we do, Rob, maybe just give us a, a little background on yourself and your experience, and, and we can go from there. Sure. sure. Well, I've had two careers, one for 25 years and one for 20 years. The first one was at IBM. I became an executive in the early 90s and started traveling the world and uh, looking at all of our businesses and our clients, and it was a fascinating time to be there. But in the early, in 2002, I had an opportunity to leave the company. The stock had quadrupled since the early 90s, and I wanted to get out and not be traveling the world and spend time with my kids who were in junior high school and help raise them rather than be on an airplane and out of the country. And so I used my financial market services background and financial uh, corporate financial background Mm -hmm. to convert in 2002 to personal planning. I happened to be a client of Opus back then. And they said, you're leaving IBM. What are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to work here. And they said, oh, great. Come on. Said, no, give me a year. I'm going to go get all my stuff. I'm going to become a student again, all my uh, series, financial licensing, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I had a great time doing that, getting ready, trying to be a student again. And, and I've really enjoyed this career because it's not dissimilar to what I was doing previously, except that now I'm focused on individuals and families. And you're putting the puzzle pieces together and figuring how to financially make them as secure as you possibly can and tell them what the truth is about what's happening in the markets and the products and the services that are coming at them and, you know, not to believe everything you read in Money Magazine. And um, so it's been very fruitful and it's been personally rewarding for me to develop relationships with 60 plus families personally and Opus, I think, with 800 plus families and uh, trying to do the very right thing by people and and uh, enjoy doing it. I love it. It's, it's such a good point. I mean, there is no shortage of information, opinions, you know, data that you can look to. The question is, what data, what what opinions are relevant to you in your situation? Uh, and, you know, who do you trust? Because you could watch CNBC all day long 
right. all those talking heads talking about, you know, who, who knows what. And there are plenty of people on there that, you know, know what they're talking about and are, uh, you know, I would, would trust them more than some others. Then there's some others that, uh, you know, I think they're just looking to fill some time. So why don't let, let's start about the current market dynamics over, you know, there's a lot has changed over the last few years since, uh, since COVID started. What are, what are you seeing right now in terms of what people are asking you about most commonly or what you're speaking to clients about? What do, what do they need to know about the current market conditions these days? Sure. So the, the real background that most clients have is that we had some very good markets. In 2020, the S&P was up 16%. In 21, it was up 27%. And all of a sudden in 2022, um, you know, the S&P's down 19% and mm -hmm. bonds are down 12. It was a very, very unusual year. It's been 30 plus years since the stock market and bonds have both had a, a down year and a retraction. So a 60-40 common portfolio was easily down 15 plus percent. And even more if clients were leveraged into technology type stocks, which were down, the NASDAQ was down 33%. Mm -hmm. So the real question is, how, how have we done and how are we getting out of this? And how should we do things differently? So uh, we're having a good year so far this year. Uh, S&P's up 18, stocks are up one and a half percent, and bonds up one and a half percent. But what consumers and, and clients have to understand is that if you're down 25, up 25 and the next year doesn't get you to even, you've mm -hmm. got to get up like 35, 38% to recover the 25 because you're coming off a smaller base. So what are clients worried about? They're worried about their personal finances. They're worried about interest rates, their mortgage rates, uh, the costs of inflation impacting the cost of everything they're buying. And while the media is talking about inflation is coming down, inflation re reduced again, you have to remember that if you got a 9% hit last September, 9% year over year, and then averages of 5.4, now 3.5, those are still increases, mm -hmm. compounding increases. We're not doing the consumer any favor with even the lower inflation rates yet, but we were used to a 2 to 3% sort of inflation run rate every year, and now we've had these spikes. So um, it's really challenging, and you can see it in the returns in the markets across different components of the market. So retailers are getting hurt. Uh, especially luxury and higher end retailers who are doing okay with the high end consumer, but the medium and lower end consumers are getting out of everything except non-name brand foods and they're doing everything they can to, to push and, and stretch their, uh, their, their capacity to buy the things they need for their lives. So, and even though inflation is down, that doesn't mean prices are down, right? It just means they're not going up as fast as they, it means they previously the, it, were. Inflation is really not down. It's just growing less fast. That's right. Yeah. So it's we have to remember fast. that the pressure is still on. This isn't a mm -hmm. you know time to start a parade and tell everybody things are great. Mm -hmm. So so COVID you know COVID gave business in America the opportunity or the required them to downsize and get lean. And we've seen these business cycles before. There's nothing wrong with that. They're very good at it. U.S. business is terrific. Um, they're agile. They're flexible. They move their cost structures around. And they adjusted very quickly, except for companies like Zoom, who had to grow, mm -hmm. and some of the you know magnificent seven stocks. Um, these businesses got lean and mean, and also they had some of the lowest refinancing debt opportunities in in history. So they took their old debt that was fifteen and thirty year debt, and they restructured it in the, in the last four years, 
at, at rates of one and a half, two and a half, three and a half percent. And that was like getting a, getting caught, taking their cost structures down some more. So they moved people out. They got lean and mean. They restructured. They, they, they diversified and threw off pieces of business, didn't want anymore. And they refied their long-term debt into a wonderful low rate that's going to advantage them for years to come. So businesses have been able to recover wonderfully. And earnings are doing fine. Um, we're having increases in beats and earnings in the third quarter. Um, and the outlook is for 12% growth in earnings for the U.S. companies next year. So you have this kind of unusual growth spurt that came off of COVID, but now is coming off of businesses being lean and mean. And now they're trying to find more employees at, at skill levels that they need and they can't. Mm -hmm. So there's this real challenge going on at the same time that businesses are making money, their profit margins are hanging in there. They've been able to apply price increases as inflation has gone on, but they're starting to reach the top of that price increase capability. So the market thinks right now that, we're, that it's doing, that the economy is doing pretty well. And that's why the S&P is up so far this year. But now we're saying, hey, where's this recession that everybody's been talking about for three and a half years? Huh. And, you know, endless endless conversation, people, recession, recession. The right people we try to listen to. Yeah. The right people we try to listen to, you know, keep saying, well, maybe by the fourth quarter, 24 into 25, and it's really not going to be a recession. It's going to be a mild pullback. Whatever it is, we, we're going to be in a period of volatility for at least the next 12 months. And I don't think there's a great reason to expect more than 10% up or 10% down. We're just gonna, I think we're just going to move around unless we have some sort of black swan or very serious international event, some unforeseen economic position. But most of the economies around the world are doing pretty well. When I, I speak to clients as uh, regarding their investments. And a lot of time clients will make some kind of reference of, well, I don't know if now's the right time to be in the market because there's so much uncertainty. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of chuckle to myself uh, when I hear that, because when is there not uncertainty? You know, there's, there is no point in time where we know what the future will hold, right? Whether it's uh, w the war escalating or some, like you mentioned, black swan event, which is just right. some unforeseen future event. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, all you can do is, in my opinion, just stick to your plan. And, and that plan may need to be malleable uh, a little bit here and there. But why don't we why don't we chat a little bit about what, what are you speaking to clients about in terms of is this time different? And if so, how, like what, what, what changes are you making to uh, in clients investment portfolios now relative to, I don't know, two or three years ago? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. In the history of investing, if you look at 10 year segments over the last 30 years, you've almost always had bonds and stocks moving against each other and, and yet getting you to a good place. And you also had markets like the S&P 500 moving generically together. For the first time in a very long time, we have a very bifurcated equity market, meaning this year, the 18% increase in the S&P 500 is almost wholly uh, dependent on the top 10 stocks. Mm -hmm. And the other 490 have sort of been flat. So instead of the S&P moving together, we now have this divergence. And these top 10 stocks, all the name brands you probably you know think about every day, they're jumping around and they were responsible for most of the loss in the fourth, fourth quarter. And they've been responsible for almost most of the gain this year. So the real question is, how do you invest in sectors since they aren't moving together? How do you think about international economies and emerging market economies vis-a-vis -vis the U.S.? 
Are they going to recover sooner? Where should I go? So diversification in general is more important than ever. A. Mm-hmm. B, I think you and I both, both agree that uh, fee management, tax management, which can bring 1% to 3% impact on your portfolios every year, irrespective of how they perform, uh, is really important. And I should and add, I 1% to 3% right percent now, may not sound dramatic, but you know, over a long period of time, over 10, 20, 30 years, that's a huge, huge impact. Yeah, 1% is 10,000 per million. And if you just keep getting an extra 10 grand to stay in client portfolios or an extra one or 2% stay in client portfolios all the whole time, that, that obviously is a huge difference in more than, more than carries the day mm-hmm. on top of the dividends and the returns that come. But my point is more than ever, it used, it used to be that clients invested in 50 stocks and did whatever, and then they got all into index investing, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. And ETFs, which are great, low cost, out of the mutual fund business where you get spanked with entry costs, loads, ongoing fees, ETFs and indexes being very, very efficient. Mm -hmm. And when everything moved together, index investing was great, right? And only 10 for 15% of the managers in the market beat the indexes. I think we're in kind of a different time. I don't say you move completely out of passive investing, index investing, but I think you can be selective and go pick off a healthcare manager and go pick off and, and add a technology manager and go get a guy who's going to, or a company that's manager that's going to go get the 50 best stocks outside the U S. And so all that kind of sector rotation, et cetera, adding some sort of value add managers around the ETF or the index core uh, keeps the client's cost structure down, but allows them to sort of participate in what I believe right now is going to be a very challenging, bifurcated market for the U.S. The U.S. is probably going to recover before the rest of the world, but you've got to be ahead of the curve with bright managers who are going to get you into sectors and stocks and parts of the world and big companies that are going to be the winners, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that diversification. So in America, uh, the Federal Reserve maybe just finished uh, their their hiking of rates. We're still uh, unsure of that, and they'll, they will likely... I think the consensus right now is that rates will have to stay higher for longer. And that, of course, is, I think, largely due to uh, inflation running rampant, which I think most people would agree had a big impact from uh, the federal spending during COVID to keep the economy afloat. But uh, the international markets aren't all in the same boat. Um, So can you speak a little bit to where America is as it relates to inflation, interest rates rising, versus uh, some other developed markets? Sure. So so back to the Fed, I, I, I really think that uh, the inflation position of 3.5, and if you look at sort of what they call the core inflation, 4.7, mm-hmm. we're moving to a good place, down off of 9%, 8%. So they're very happy with that. But the Fed was really late to come back and do these increases. And 11 increases from 0 to 5.25% in 18 months is unprecedented. Yeah. And that's what's caused a lot of issues in, in consternation for the economy, for for consumers and for businesses. But the U.S. Fed has been more aggressive than the rest of the world. Um, So the Eurozone, the U.K., um, many other parts of the world and major developed economies have not been as aggressive to raise interest rates. So they're behind us. The German economy is in a recession. Uh, The Eurozone had 5 to 6% inflation last month. So again, their inflation's higher, their interest rates are lower, they're mm-hmm. having more challenges with uh, recessionary type 
activity. So people aren't really sure how soon major European economies are going to recover. If you look at emerging markets in general, uh, China is 30% of the emerging markets index. Mm -hmm. and, and China is still just behind us trying to get out of COVID. They had much more serious lockdowns. They have a very large consumer population that's depressed. They have 20% unemployment amongst their 21 to 45 year olds. They've got demographic issues. They do have a real estate bubble in, in China where the government helped and forced a lot of building of residential mm -hmm. uh, properties. They've got the whole um, um, issues with um, uh, overseas trade sanctions. So there's a lot of challenges in China right now. Now, they are a government-driven society, and they will fix these problems, and they've started to put a lot of incentives back in, but they haven't recovered as fast as most people had hoped. They thought they would launch out of the COVID recovery. The rest of the uh, EMEA, you know, uh, the uh, Asia-Pacific region is really doing quite well. You know that a lot of American companies have been investing in uh, Thailand and Vietnam and offshoring more of their activities, so those have Economies are doing quite well. Japan's doing surprisingly well. They're in a growth phase. So there's real reasons to, again, there's bifurcation in how economies are, are acting, uh, especially in the Asia market. So um, again, it's, it's really important to kind of know that those part, different parts of the world are really taking off and some of the major countries are not and there's challenges, but everybody's not moving together. Again, you have to be really smart and have professional help to figure out where to go and, and how to be there. So the U.S. Um, interest rates are everything. Um, the, the national government has a $32 trillion debt. It's going higher. And their debt is like a like a uh, interest-adjustable mortgage. They love those low interest rates too. Yeah. We doubled our debt, but kept our interest payments as part of the budget flat. Imagine that. The U.S. government doubles its debt, but interest rates go down so much that the interest payment of about 6 or 7% of our national budget paid for double the debt at a lower interest rate. Mm -hmm. Well, now what's happening? Obviously, interest rates are going up. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't get it as low as they used to. And their, their adjustable interest rate mortgage is going way up. It's now 10% of the budget. It's probably on its way to 15% of the budget. And that means be, between Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, defense, and interest, there's almost no other money to spend. So it's very challenging, and I think we're going to be forced to see higher tax rates across probably all incomes uh, in the next three to six years. I don't um, see any other way around it, and I certainly don't envy uh, the position of lawmakers to uh, you know have to decide where to take money from because uh, that's a that's a tough battle. Well, just the last piece of that is that the tax law that changed in 2017 that gave us the lowest marginal tax brackets ever is in place until the end of 2025. So as planners, we are really focused on what can we do with and for our clients to take advantage of the tax rates between now and the end of 2025. And you mentioned Congress who can't really do anything together. Mm -hmm. That gives us confidence they're not going to be able to change the tax laws until at least 2026. And I don't mm -hmm. know though they will then. And that's the bad news because in 2026, the old 2016 laws mm -hmm. pop back in. Mm -hmm. And everything from estate planning at 12 plus million per person goes back down to about 6 million and all the marginal tax brackets pop back up. And, um, you know, if they can't get anything done, then it's going back to that. And that's a, that's a challenge we all are planning for and should plan for. 
Now, borrowing costs for consumers, you hopefully you've heard about this a lot. Most of our clients are in great shape because they refi their mortgages at 2.7, 3% in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. So what happened to their mortgage servicing costs, right? They went down by 40%, in some cases, 50%. And so that's wonderful. And that gave them extra cash flow to put into investments in other places. And so that's really helped them. But how about being a uh, one of the 2 million, you know, less than 32 year olds are trying to go buy their first house and now mortgage rates are between seven and eight mm-hmm. and their down payments and the, you know, have, have to be bigger. The property they were looking at was at whatever, 500,000. Now it's at 800,000 and the mortgage rates higher. They're basically locked out and there's not a lot of new houses being built. So we're sort of stuck. And if I look at some of my clients who are trying to leave their home and downsize, they can, but they're going to be paying the same rate after right, they close. Right. They're going Defeats to go for whatever, yeah. a $2 million property with a 3.3% interest rate to a $1.2 million property or million dollar property with a 7 or 8% interest rate with whatever costs associated with it for HOAs yeah. or other things. Yeah. And now they're, it's fairly similar. Yeah. So there's no real win-win for unloading and trying to move somewhere else. And that's challenging with the consumer. And then, you know, interest costs are going to affect their debt service, loans on cars, uh, you know, besides mortgage activity. So there's some challenge there, credit cards, et cetera. Yeah. People don't want to move. Don't want to, don't want to give up their low interest rate mortgages. And, you know, seems like we're going to be stuck in this situation for a little while. I don't really see uh, the way out, at least in the short term anyway. So, um, but let's, let's chat, let's change gears a little bit. So we've heard all this information, right? All this, like, here's what's going on, the state of affairs for the, let's try and put our heads in, in the, you know, the frame of our clients a novice investor who does something else for a living. They're not investment experts. What do they do with all this information, right? You you hear lots of talking heads. You hear the 60, 40 portfolio is kind of like a buzzword. What, first of all, I think a good conversation is, you know, why, why have bonds at all? And then, you know, secondary is how do you know who to listen to, where to get the information and what, if any changes to make to, to your portfolio or a strategy. Sure. So my first point on the CNN, I'm sorry, CNBC idea is uh, those are traders Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we are not traders, right? We and our clients are investors. And if you continue to look at one year, three year, five year, seven year returns in, in different stock markets and bond markets, you basically get a positive move. And, you can generically plan for a six to eight percent type of return in your stock portfolios and a three to five percent return in your bond portfolios. And I know we had a down year last year, as I talked about earlier in 2022, but we're back on that sort of roadmap to um, that type of scenario, growth, business outlook, economies, et cetera. So what's the thought with our clients? My conversation is calmed down continue to be a long-term investor. Mm -hmm. We are trying to conserve and protect your wealth and give it a reasonable growth rate. Um, And that's really all it's about. I don't have too many clients got rich and famous by investing in the stock market. They got rich and famous by working hard, starting their 401k in their late 20s at work, um, having a disciplined savings program, I tell every client's kids, you know, in their late 20s and 30s, the way for you to be successful financially, personally, is to be a great saver. I don't Mm -hmm. care if you just put in a savings account. Mm -hmm. 
as long as you're an aggressive saver and you continue to put the money away, you'll be in a good place later in life. Save 15, 20% of your gross income, save 15, 20% of every increase in bonus you get, and you'll be in a great place. So even though our clients are T minus five or you know T plus 10 around retirement, um, the, the concepts are pretty much the same. Um, we're trying to maximize and yet protect your wealth. That means you need to be diversified. You need to be smart. You need to do tax management in your uh, non-qualified after-tax investment accounts. You need to really focus on your fees and you need to be ready to make changes. And the changes we usually look for are when the market changes. And you asked about bonds. Well, now bonds are a great place to be. They were depressed. They lost 12% last year. Interest rates are on their way up. They're hanging out at a high level. And now generically, if we look out two to four years, we would expect interest rates to have come down over the next two to four years. So you can get into government treasury, you know, uh, bond portfolios now at four and a half or 5% federally tax-free. The muni bond market is still very strong. Most municipalities are doing great with their tax revenues if not up. Um, and so you can get muni returns, you know, after tax relative muni returns in the five to 8% range, which is great. And as interest rates, we expect will come down over the next two to four years. Maybe only, maybe the Fed goes from 5.25 down to four and a half by the end of next year. Maybe it hangs in the three somewhere after that. Mm -hmm. well, if everything else trickles down by 20 or 40%, well, the actual value of your bonds will also increase besides the interest and the yield we just talked about. So it's kind of an interesting time. The second one is overseas bonds are quite interesting because the US dollar has come off its high and is down about 10, 12%. And that makes the returns in overseas markets also go up because you get the interest rate in Japan or in Australia or wherever, plus the dollar exchange rate that now makes that an increment on top of the yield overseas. So do you think we all need professional management to go <laughs> do some of those more intricate mm -hmm. investment structures inside bond and international bond portfolios? Absolutely. And so mm -hmm. um, it's, I'm really looking after things like that. And I'm also looking at what I would call alternate investments as an addition to the 60-40 classic portfolio. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about ways to get into through funds and ETFs, um, private equity type investments, um, 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 hedge fund activities, uh, long short funds. And if you think about this year, 18 months of what I'll call volatility expectations of hanging out in a range of plus or minus 10%. That's the way you help your portfolios do fairly well in the interim. Yeah. I think so much of long-term returns, or, or I guess any any period uh, returns, is expectations, right? Making sure that, that we are, as professionals, are setting the right expectations of what should you expect for yearly, monthly, quarterly volatility, and when, if ever... Uh, what are the situations in which you want to make changes to the strategies because there's changes to your personal situation, changes to the economy that didn't exist, uh, you know, five, six months ago or, or even longer. Sure. And so, you know, why don't we spend a, a minute on, you mentioned uh, managing the tax. What are, what are some of the things that we can do or our clients can do to minimize the tax or make sure that they're being as tax efficient as possible? Right. Well, it takes a lot of oversight <clears throat> and it's not something they can do. It's not something we can easily do by ourselves. So you need some professional management to help. Um, 
what I try to set up for clients, especially in their non-retirement accounts, is a series of holdings, and, and at least mentally, uh, that they think about. And one is their savings and liquidity. And that could be in a checking account, a savings account, a money market account. All of my clients will sleep at night and know that they have six to 12 months of safe money they can live on mm -hmm. if the stock market's moving around and they don't want to keep taking income off their bond portfolio or whatever. They just want to take a time out and let those holdings recover. So if we have a 10% pullback in the third or fourth quarter next year, I don't want them to worry. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to, well, you got plenty of liquidity in your first bucket. You've got short-term investments in your second bucket that isn't very risky. And you've got medium-term and then 10-plus year investments in your long bucket. And each one is, is sequentially more risky and moving with the markets. Mm -hmm. Well, if that very long portfolio is down the 10, are we really worried? We're not even looking to use that money for another 10 years. And over time, we think it'll just continue to go up to the right and be just fine. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine your portfolio sort of doing this and your liquidity sits still and your sort of bond related safe more safe risk portfolio is getting right now four five six percent return that's great and then you have more of a diversified portfolio in your two to eight year investment bucket and then you've got your long bucket so clients can take a breath feel good at night uh, know they've got safe money and we move when we bob and weave and move depending on what's happening in the market so when there's big changes well, if, if we're down 10% generically in the stock markets, what should you be doing during a recovery? You shouldn't have taken your money out and be at less risk and then miss the recovery. Yeah. You should at least hang on to your 60, 40, 80, 20 mix out in these long portfolios and ride the curve back just as aggressively as you wrote it down. And that's just called long-term investing, staying, staying with your program. But many times, we will do some incremental moves. So the 60-40 becomes a 65-35 or 70-30. And we you know, will ride the recovery faster and recover faster. Maybe there's like we just talked about, it's not just an index recovery anymore. We need to pick certain sectors and certain stocks where we could really get a nice little bang for our buck on what I would call the satellite, more aggressive investments in those portfolios. So there's real opportunity to do to, to play offense is number one. Number two, um, uh, tax harvesting, uh, which means selling some of your losers, mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't just happen in September and October. It's a year-round job because the, 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 the pullback in, in March of 2020 for COVID was all the way back for six months later. And during that little seven-month downturn in recovery, if you didn't do tax harvesting down near the bottom, you didn't get to do any. Mm -hmm. So that was a wonderful time, as much pain as everybody was feeling, um, to, to harvest losses. And some of my clients are still burning those losses and getting all of their future gains tax-free. Yeah. I see, I see plenty of people who, you know, picked a few high-flying tech stocks or whatever uh, companies may be, and they feel great about the, the gains that they saw, maybe less so last year. But, uh, you know, what they're maybe thinking of a little less is the tax impact, right? The, right. if they're just leaving it alone and not never thinking about uh, offsetting gains with losses elsewhere in the portfolio, they're just uh, as big as the portfolio is, is growing and compounding, they're just accumulating the tax bill as well. And so I, I often will speak to clients about how can we balance the, the growth, the great growth that you, that you have and, you know, minimize the tax bill over time, or especially if we can minimize, if not eliminate uh, short-term gains and, you know, try to keep everything to, to long-term gains was, is ideal, of course. You're exactly right.
Um, the other important point is to do uh, some uh, income planning, meaning if you are in a state of flux or one of your one of the spouses is retiring, so there's going to be a real change year to year in your income. Mm -hmm. Again, we've got tax laws till the end of 2025, and the current uh, married joint filing uh, limit on 15% cap gains is up in the 580,000 range. I mean, it won't be there again, I think, after 2025. So we've mm -hmm. got time um, to do some of that harvesting aggressively and or go ahead and take some of your cap gains off the table at 15%, manage them properly, spread them out this year, 23, 24, 25, and just swallow that tax bill and go, well, at least I'm getting them off the table at 15 while mm -hmm. the rates are where they are. Um and if you can do some harvesting in the meantime, or those next three planning years, the loss harvesting is just going to uh, eliminate some of that tax bill. So very aggressive planning is important. Um, some clients, unfortunately, are out of a job for six or eight months. Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've got a real compression in earnings for that year. It's an opportunity to go stuff capital gains into their um, adjusted gross income and, and do it at, at the right level. Yeah, so, great time to do a, a Roth conversion defense, when income and, is down. You know, hang, pulling the levers and doing whatever we can based on the client situation. Obviously, change of life uh, situations is, is what it's all about. You sell your home, you downsize, you leave your job. When, mm -hmm. when, when are you going to retire? One retire is a bad term, but when are you going to change your work life? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, all of those things. It's really the bigger overall picture of the client that becomes really, really important. And then just letting us trying to be as offensive as we can and defensive where we need to be with the financial components of all that. Hmm. Robin, uh, this has all been uh, super helpful to me and I, I hope to the listening audience as well. But in our last uh, few minutes before we wrap up, wh what would you say is the best investment advice that you have ever received? <laughs> well, uh, as a 28 to 30 year old working in corporate America, uh, some friend of my parents said, are you in your 401k plan at work? And I said, no, I don't really know about it. He says, well, you got to be in. And so I decided I was doing okay. I was starting to get better jobs and make more money. And I said, okay, I guess I could give up 10% of my uh, earnings to put into that thing. And mm -hmm. so I did it. I disciplined on a disciplined basis, did it every year. And that was like money I never saw, never worried about it, spent everything else I got, bought a few real estate properties as a young person. I was lucky. But really that 401k, you know, from 28, 30 years old, turned into uh, real money that has bolstered my ability to look into my future and know that things are going to be fine. So for younger people, that would be the best advice I think I've heard. And for those of us in the 50, 60, 70 range, I would tell you to uh, stop listening to all the noise. Yeah. Stop, stop listening to investors think start to uh, you know uh, traders. traders and start right, yeah. stop, and keep thinking as an investor have a long-term view and don't be living on one bucket of after-tax investing that you kind of measure your emotions on every day mm -hmm. and one chunk of retirement assets that you measure your emotions on spread out your portfolios get them into time buckets be able to take a breath and know that your one and two year financial income strategy is is um, safe, conservative, available, flexible, and everything else will move around based on what's happening with proper meetings and discussions uh, 
with your financial advisor and based on what's going on in the market. Yeah. And if you work so hard to gain all those, you've done all the heavy lifting by your 50s and 60s and whatever assets you have, you have. And now the accumulation game's over. And we've got to go turn it into cat, lifetime cash flow, proper mm-hmm. after-tax income. So where are those incomes going to come from? Which are taxable, non-taxable? How much more? Right now, I'd say the best advice I have for clients in the next two and a half years is do IRA to Roth conversions wherever possible and wherever your tax condition allows. You're taking taxes, you're paying taxes on a chunk of money out of your IRA, putting it into a Roth where it'll never be taxed again. It'll grow tax-free. You can access it tax-free anytime in life, later in life. And it's, a, it's one of the best legacy assets there is to pass to your kids. They changed the laws. There's no stretch IRA anymore. Mm-hmm. Kids have to take it out. Kids, they'll be sick in their 60s when they get it. Mm-hmm. They'll be older, as older, older than you are now, right? And, mm-hmm. and they'll be in our highest er- earnings years. And they're yeah. going to have to dump mom and dad's IRAs into their income in the first 10 years. If they get an, a Roth IRA, they've got 10 years to dump that out too. But you leave it alone and let it grow in their life for 10 years completely tax-free. And if they get a million bucks, that million bucks tax-free could be one, four or 2 million, 10 years later, and they get it all tax, tax-free and go put it into their investment world and do whatever they want. So those are the kind of high level ideas that I think um, are most advantageous to think about. Yeah. So always be, always be a great saver at any point, but especially early in life, set the right expectations of don't be don't be a trader. You want to trade, you know, trade for a small portion of your portfolio right. unless you do it for a living. And as the case for most people, that's not the case. So be a long-term investor, be disciplined, work with professionals for tax management, diversification, just getting a better sense as to what is actually going on and what's relevant to your situation. Uh, and and we hope uh, we hope you you found this helpful. If uh, there's any ahas that come from this conversation or questions that come up, don't hesitate to reach out or we'll be happy to help. Um, so for uh, the listening audience, appreciate you you tuning in. Uh, if you could give us a, a like, subscribe, five-star review, we read every one of them and appreciate uh, all the notes. Uh, until next time, have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Data and rates used were indicative of market conditions as of the date shown. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends are based on current market conditions and are subject to change without notice. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Diversification does not guarantee profit or protect against market loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market, interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Equities may decline in value due to both real and perceived general market, economic, and industry conditions. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk, including currency fluctuations, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less publicly available information, and changes in tax or currency laws. 
Such risks may be enhanced in emerging markets. Evan Wool and Robert Pruitt are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Roberts California Insurance License Number 0I88914. Evans California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance approval of 2023-162452 expires October of 2025.